I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity, auth, versioning, and more. Okay, in this episode, we'll be speaking with Stev Schwartz from Cisco and really talk about kind of the overall API experience that Steph tends to reference it here. And that really means, you know, kind of looking at the, the inside and the outside of what is this kind of API design process and the, the resulting experience for API consumers look like. So Steph, thanks for joining. And I guess real quickly, uh, our co-host today is Adam Duvander. Adam, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself and then uh, Steph as well. Yeah, thanks, Jason. I work with every developer, and we work with API companies to engage developers. So I'm excited to hear from a great story of what Stev and the team have done at Cisco. And uh, myself, Stev, I work at Cisco. The group name is DevNet inside Cisco. We are Cisco's developer program. So when I heard Jason and Adam speaking about, hey, there's an opportunity to have a conversation, it feels we will talk about APIs and developers. I was like, yeah, count me in. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I think selfishly, the podcast is a lot of fun to get to just talk with people who geek out on this stuff. So it's a, it's a fun and easy job to do. So DevNet, is that kind of a, a more internal program name or is that what kind of Cisco API consumers see? DevNet is a, is a brand. So it's Cisco's developer program. It ends up being published at developer.cisco.com. And it's interesting because you've got the dev developers and net because it's about networking, but it encompasses all Cisco APIs, whether it's IoT, collaboration, cloud, networking, data center, compute, security. So DevNet covers all APIs you can find at Cisco. And it's external facing APIs. The other side of your job is is really getting involved with teams within the company and kind of helping that governance, let's say, process, the G word, as I call it, the thing none of us want to talk about, but we have to. So I'm curious, what does that kind of approach and process look like within the company to produce that those external-facing services? And is that different than the way it works inside? In fact, it's two sides of the coin. Of the coin. If you want to really publish great APIs, and we we can discuss what a great API is, <laughs> because of course. <laughs> but if you want to APIs to to meet the standards you're establishing for the community, you need to drive two efforts. One is really um, towards your community, listening to them, understanding what they need to be productive, successful. And the other side of the coin is more looking internally, how your API is scoring, and you have to create a, a scoring system and also guidelines to drive consistency. So that's what we call API experience at Cisco. And it's not a one-team effort, a one-man effort. It's, a, it's not a one-team effort. It's a cross-org effort because you need to involve all the architects and technical leads you have on your company to define this North Star ultimate goal for the company of what would be your a great API. But I'm wondering what you would define yourself, Adam and Jason, as, as a great API. <laughs> I want to listen to you on that. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. I think on the there's a lot to unpack from that for sure. But you know, some of the things that you said have some standards, have a way that everybody is held to account through some means of assessing that. 
some of those fundamentals are always going to be true. The conventions that you choose when people say, hey, should I do snake case? Should I do underscore, you know, whatever? Like, I don't care. Just pick one and stick with it. Be consistent. It's better to be consistent almost more than anything so that when you build all these different things, they all feel like one when you externalize it. To some extent, that's really, that, that's just the bread and butter stuff. And the rest, you can now get into rationalizing. Is this in customer language, right? Do they understand it when they look at it or are using internal jargon that no one cares about? That's an implementation detail. So I think that that's where you want to focus your energy and you know have all the, the convention boring stuff automated away as much as you can. And Adam, I'm sure on the externalization side, there's a bunch of other stuff. I think that's really interesting that in a lot of the companies we've talked to, a lot of that internal focus means that sometimes the jargon that is used internally can find its way in there. But here you have a way where you are taking feedback from external developers and making sure that that really sort of hardens it. I mean, what what's your process for getting that that feedback in and into the all of these teams that work on the APIs. Yeah, the process to capture feedback, that's <laughs> that's a great one. Yeah, there's not one channel only at Cisco. For for Cisco how it works, it's like you've got events. So we still have events. Okay. It's the situation is a bit different currently, but there's always been virtual physical events. So that's a long tail. And during events, of course, you've got one-on-one interactions, you capture a lot of feedback, but there's also everything happening in chats, chat rooms. You're just speaking with one another, and then there's everything that comes to your developer support channels, where you also get a lot of information. It's a lot to dig into your those tickets, understand what they mean, and just find the value. <laughs> so certainly something we could or should invest more on, but yeah, there's not only one. At the end of the day, it's about looking at what really matters. At Cisco, we looked at simplicity and consistency. So I'm with you, I'm with you, Jason, on the consistency aspects. That's important. And uh, and you don't want to enter a debate and conversations. What is the best case, camel case, or any of those snake? You want to establish one. And so my advice here would be. Do not start from a from a blank page because if you ask everybody, everybody will have a different opinion, and everybody's right. It's not like one one is better than the other. You just have to pick one. At Cisco, we took the option of just gathering a team that is very humble, doesn't look too much at their own belly, so not their API, but more the long term. So humility, looking at what would be the best for the long term and and you start discussing about an existing style and my favorite part is when i when i lead the group just to ask what would you object i'm not saying it's the worst one but what you would you object and that's the way we work on the governance at cisco something is written down and now unless there is a pain point that's the way it is but anybody can jump in and say hey this this has an issue for me. It's a pain point. And then starts a conversation. What is a pain point? How can we enrich our guidance? That's what we see. The way I always say it is like, these are things you don't want to have to spend energy talking about. So when you do, write it down so you don't have to again. 
You kind of mentioned earlier in terms of you kind of have a team that's doing some aspect of this, but it's really a, a, there's a lot of different threads going on. Would you say you have a more centralized or decentralized approach or a blend thereof? I know this is always a hot topic. We have both. <laughs> and because at some point you need to centralize the information. You need you need one source of truth. And so where do I go when I don't want to end up working for weeks just to define what is the case for my API? So I need to go somewhere and that has to be the source of truth. So this is what we call centralized, but still a team effort, building it and being able to contribute to it. So that's for what we call the style guide. But on top of it, then you need to inject this guidance into your engineering teams. And this is where the decentralized happens. We took an approach where we, we asked every team to nominate one technical lead and generally it's the architect of the platform that took the role because you don't start dictating rules without knowing the implications. <laughs> what, what does it gonna cost? There's always a cost, okay? And, and so you have to... Yeah, it's a balance. So, so we have a great group of technical leads and they are driving the standards inside their own group. And it's about coaching, a lot of coaching. And how do you design? It's easy to say, okay, we've got great standards. Open API is, is, has really raised up along the two, three la, last years. We started with Ramal at Cisco in the early days. We had a bit of API blueprint and we still have legacy API blueprint. And those tooling were great, okay? I'm not saying one is better than the other. It's just that yeah, OS has, has really raised up and, uh, and now helps us drive and move us forward to apply this guidance and to get consistency and also with the tool sets. <laughs> because behind every, every API, there's, there's a tool set to make things happen. Yeah, having been on both the kind of Ramble working group as well as the initial kickoff Linux Foundation group that started OAS, which by the way, I would say for the listeners, if you've heard of Swagger, start calling it OpenAPI. We changed it a couple of years ago <laughs> as a tooling provider now. Like you wouldn't believe how many people still call it Swagger. But yeah, it's I think there's a groundswell of general support in that direction that this is this is kind of the way forward. And let's let's iterate on open API for, around rest stuff anyways. <laughs> Random curiosity, there's kind of different threads, especially on internal APIs, starting to, you know, I see some directional move away from kind of rest and more toward like gRPC at some layers, GraphQL at other layers, lots of misused GraphQL in different layers, but that's different. I'm curious, you know, what do you see in kind of emerging trends on internal usage versus <laughs> external usage? Sorry. That's maybe non-REST things. Or maybe it's extended REST. <laughs> because if there's only one... Sorry, HTTP APIs, REST-ish, <laughs> right? Yeah, whatever that means. But for sure, REST is uh, helps with simplicity. You just like, that's, that's the lowest learning curve. So we shoot for REST by default, if you have. And it's also... The tools, the operations, operations, gateways, everything works just smoothly. And the industry is very mature regarding the REST style. So easy way, you just pick REST and you're very successful. But we have GRPC internally at Cisco and we start moving forward. We have a team, AppDynamics, 
that is that is really very active with with grpc and we are working with with that team to establish all standards early for grpc apis so that we can learn from this team and create the full tool set so that we're ready when when we ship grpc apis to have all standards established it's an opportunity, in fact, <laughs> that we have new API styles. Because if you think about it, REST style, we just saw those APIs coming and we were not ready. <laughs> we had nothing, <laughs> no consistency. Everybody was creating those APIs differently. And then it's too late because you know the life cycle of your API. It's only every maybe five years, three, five years, you, you start having back, backward non-compatible change. And you that gives you an opportunity to change your design. But, but so for new styles, it's, we, we are seeing it as an opportunity. So what I would recommend is just like ask for budget so that you can invest early because otherwise it's going to cost you a lot more later. So it's time to invest on gRPC, invest on, on GraphQL. We have several teams at Cisco that have already published GraphQL APIs. So we are, we are just now already uh, chasing them and just running so that we can establish those standards early. Those styles are, it depends on really what's your use case. So pick REST by default, but if you need to have a I know, real time, bidirectional, bidirectional, you, you can start thinking, am I ready? But the tool set is there and all, all the vendors are very successful. So it's like, uh, it's complementary. And we are not, uh, as a governance body, we are establishing standards in, and we leave the choice of the design and style to our engineering teams because they, they know why they would pick one design over, over another. That's our main learnings. Uh, one difficulty, maybe where we still have challenges, is around uh, the documentation for those new styles. How can I get an interactive, smooth, simple experience for developers willing to test my API. That's still a work in progress. When I was at Expedia Group, there was definitely a lot of experimentation with you know other things. Um, they're pretty heavily invested in GraphQL. They've done a lot of kind of public aspects of that. And internally, definitely a lot of experimenting with gRPC. But I agree with you. Like It's not so much the sort of automated tooling. The developer side's really nice. There's like a lot of batteries included, but it's really the docs part where things get messy real quick. There's just not a lot to point to. I wonder, Adam, on kind of externalized gRPC and GraphQL stuff, you know, what you've seen on that doc side of things. Yeah, I think in both of those are still early enough that there aren't great examples. And I think if you look even at, I mean, we're many years into REST and we're still coming upon <laughs> bad docs <laughs> there, right? So I think that documentation is just hard overall and I'm I'm curious whether you have an approach that you're using with the APIs that you externalize to make sure that there's a great developer experience for especially those external developers who maybe can't go and ask a question of the right person internally that's a great part I like this conversation here let's speak about the experience <laughs> so so I think when you run a developer program like like, like we do at Cisco with DevNet it's tricky because you want to please your developer audience. So all your teams, we are nice. We don't look at 
at our time. We work sometimes late, sometimes on weekends, just because we love, we are passionate, and we want to help the community. So this is a DNA of your of your developer experience team. And even your implementation and engineering team, they are very focused on yeah, what's going to be the experience of developers. So everybody wants is in this mood of creating the greatest experience. But now at some point, you want that experience to be the greatest, which means you need to say no sometimes. And that's that's our struggle, is finding the right balance of playing nice with engineering teams, of saying, hey, we are all contributing together, creating standards, defining the, the gold star. But at the same time, sometimes you have to say, hey, come on here, the quality is not there, the standards are not really met, and you need to start doing scoring. And so that you have, you can start rating in a consistent way and make sure your standards are met. And that part is something that we are still investigating, but that starts with scoring on our end. And I'm curious whether that, how much of that score is some of the design choices that we talked about earlier, how much of it is documentation that's available. I know it's still coming together, but what are the, what are sort of the pieces there that, that you have? You've nailed it. It's two scores you need. So we, we ended up created two standards. And as part of our, our API style guide at Cisco, one section applies to all APIs. It's really focused on developer experience. And it covers documentation, use case, value proposition for developers. Where can I find support for this API? What is the feedback channel for developers? All this needs to be documented. And we have a checklist for that. So that makes us, this checklist is used whenever we publish a new API documentation. And that comes in a CI-CD pipeline, but there is some automation. And But there's a final check when there's a new major version that we make sure all the checklist is met and everything required. But we have another side of the coin, which is the design. And, and for that, we created a different way of scoring. And that depends on on the style of your API. So we've got one section of the guide that is focused on REST APIs, another one with on gRPC, we are creating it right now. The next one coming is GraphQL. And we have another section that may not be familiar for your group or for your audience. It's something very related to the networking area. It's a definition for APIs and models called Yang. Yang, and not sure you're familiar with it, but it's really a language where you define a model. And from this model, the APIs and all your interfaces are automatically generated to manage this model. So think about CRUD being automatically generated from a model. So, But it's very powerful in terms of expressiveness for that model. You can start from a basic model, you can extend it, and this is, this is the way the whole network industry and networking industry, so Cisco, Google, a lot of the, the major players in the industry is working with IETF to really define a standard models for networking. But all that relies on the modeling formatting language. It's called Yang and it's applicable to the whole industry. So I'm mentioning it today because in case you have you're facing as an architect model-driven API and you don't want to spend too much time reinventing the wheel and REST doesn't directly apply to you because you want to have a flexible schema and with a lot of metadata on top, you could do it with JSON-D, JSON schema. There's some opportunity there, but 
Yang is a very effective tool set. Yet, but so at the end of the day, we created also a style for Yang model-driven APIs. So both sides of the coin, you need to score both if you want to be successful, the design and the developer experience. That modeling language is Y-A-N-G, right? That yes. looks like? Yeah. Exactly. And looks like there's JSON and XML for, uh, <laughs> for it. <laughs> it's interesting though, because I think you know, in, in my experience, I've seen that the kind of domain modeling at, let's say, the high level, not kind of down in the weeds of the code, but the, the kind of abstract domain modeling process. These days, it's like, you know, there's different tactics, right? You can do uh, event storming or you can do DDD or whatever the flavor is of how you derive that model. That is a portable concept. And I, I always think these days of like, the API format that you're using is just kind of the packaging of that into operations, but that they're they're somewhat distinct in the process that you're going through, and the conventions that you're looking for are actually part of packaging, not part of modeling. Conventions, it's exactly the word. And if you think about the domain you're addressing when you're exposing and creating an API, there's naming conventions. What's your business domain. So even for Cisco network, there's tons of ways you can define a network. <laughs> is it a leaf? Is it a node? <laughs> Just like, is it a machine? Is it a blade? <laughs> so, so depending on, that's also something I would, I would recommend teams look early on and define a common terminology. It's so, because generally as IPI architect, we look a lot about the design and the, what really comes up and the technical aspects but the terminology that that's that's really something we are still trying to figure out at cisco just because when you started naming something a device instead of a leaf or node it's there to last long long and this is a consistency we want for developers adam i know you're very much into the developer world and so at the end of the day that's what you see when you look at the api i was surprised when i started this work for cisco originally i was i was like eh, does consistency matter that much because at the end of the day a developer will come and look only at one api and if it are there that many developers that go and look at another API from the same vendor to compare it? So I was a bit skeptic. So, and we listened, we looked, we went to events, we captured feedback. And yes, there is a need because right now, you know, the cloud has changed a lot of the, the mindsets. In the past, we were very siloed. You were either data center or cloud or you were security, but you were only security. You were not networking, you were not apps. But now we have DevOps. So DevOps plus cloud, the world is just melt. It's a bit of everything and someone that works with API is working with all these domains. So it will be facing different domains that were siloed in the past. So this consistency, we I think we need it more than than in the past, certainly. I'm not sure you've seen that too. Yeah, and I think that once you have, once a developer has a great experience with one of your APIs, the obvious next step <laughs> is that they're going when they when they have another problem that is the size and shape of another API that you have, they're going to want to use your other API because they've had that great experience, and so that's where I'm not sure anyone 
Well, there's probably people who would say, wow, this is a great consistent experience, but they're much more likely to notice when it's not, right? So that's sort of where it matters, I think, is helping them take that step from that first use case, which might be smaller, but when they take that next step and the next step to expand and use more of what you have, that's when they become a larger customer and that's where the consistency will help make that a smooth path. We started looking at that consistency. What should it be? Should it be consistency on the design aspects or on the developer experience? And so developer experience is much easier. So it's a lot of work. Okay, technical writing, creating code samples, assembling. So it's a lot of work, but it's much simpler because you don't have you don't care too much about backward compatibility like you do with your design. So that's what I call simpler because you can make a change and create start from a no full experience to a great experience. But your developer experience, it's we started defining what it is. So it's of course your API documentation, but it's also your code samples. Can I find code samples? And we started creating metrics. How much code samples do we have per API? So that we want to make sure the major use cases are covered. And we created a platform at DevNet called DevNet Code Exchange so that the whole community can submit code samples. And we, we track the numbers. And when there's a lack of code samples, it's just because we didn't promote it enough because at the end of the day we've got our community is more than 500,000 devs so they've got a lot of code and they're willing to contribute but there's a bit of budget to invest in in saying hey we're going to it's a campaign <laughs> marketing campaign and say hey please push your code samples because we know there's a there's a gap in some in some code samples this is where you also need a centralized team to help push for these efforts measure Another area we did not discuss at all, but I think it's very important to us at Cisco. It was it was something we started very early, even before creating standards. It's the testing environment. Because your API can be the best if I can only read the documentation, but there's no way I can test this API very easily without the need to buy something from Cisco. <laughs> I just want to know what it does. Is it something... It, that makes sense for me. What is the use case? Can I use it? And then I will start investing. And we know today developers are the technical decision makers. And really, okay, you won't, as a company, you won't buy a product if it doesn't have the greatest API. And who's going to tell you if it's a great API? It's a developers. It's your development team at the end of the day because they tell you, hey, it's going to take me two days to do this integration or it's going to take me two months. <laughs> and that drives your decision. This is a decision. So my tagline for that one is always developers try, business buys. And if both sides aren't right, it ain't going to happen. You know, if the developer tries it and it's a stinky experience and they tell the business people this is going to take us forever, it means it's more expensive, right? And if the pricing or the, the equitable part of using that API isn't set up right for the right incentives, that's not good either. Speaking of the business side, though, I just wanted to pick up on a couple of things you said. One is this kind of terminology or what I tend to call kind of the grammar that you use to kind of universally throughout your design process, how you explain things. And I would say the customer centricity of how you, you know, kind of design. You mentioned inner source, basically, that the shift towards siloed code ownership into we're all kind of more transparent, really from top to bottom now, as things are more kind of cloud shifting, especially with kind of infrastructure as code and all that. And then you also mentioned what I would call like an errors first approach of thinking that 
or at least that's how I would describe it, is the first thing in your developer experience is it's very likely someone's going to hit an error as their first experience with you. How well did you handle that? I think all of that, when I bundle it up, within most companies represents a pervasive cultural change that has to take place, not just in engineering. Because now you're talking about what's the grammar that you use in business and how you talk about the products and maybe how you even change the way you monetize things. So have you seen this kind of culture shifting aspect of the push into being more precise with your API program? Before working at Cisco, I saw this race. Okay, I worked at different companies and this was really raising. And also like the need to go with API because it was a business enabler and a, really a differentiator. I joined Cisco pretty recently, it was five years ago. And I was just so intrigued by the developer program and what would Cisco deliver. It was the area of microservices at that time. So and there was a beautiful program called Mentor. So they got by earth with this technology. So I just, that's how I, I got into Cisco. When I came in, I realized that the team had APIs for ages because it was the company has roots into automation and because the network needed to be automated very long ago. And service providers need to scale their deployments. And so it's telecommunication industry worldwide needs automation. And then the large enterprises went into the game of saying, I'm a big company, I need to automate my branch offices. But so for Cisco, the journey started very early and the very first routers, the first ask was, hey, I don't want the command line interface. I don't want the user interface. <laughs> I want an API. That was coming from our very first partners and customers. So what is the, the relationship between APIs and business? I think nowadays, in the history of Cisco, it was very much a, a feature and it was asked very early. It has always been a feature of the product itself. You buy it. It's not coming on top with extra licensing, you need it. And we consider that it's on our customers to decide if they prefer an admin dashboard, <laughs> a command line interface, or eventually uh, an API. And most of them nowadays, they want an API and it's a differentiator. But if they want an API, it's, it's not because they have an API that they're already using it. So we have to acknowledge here we are very into APIs. So we get up, we breathe APIs, we, we call APIs, we consume APIs. It's like a toy that we all used to play with. But for a lot of the industry, this move towards automation is still work in progress. It's raising. And I've been surprised because year over year, we've got a fabulous event that is coming in a few days called Cisco Live. So it gathers, when it was physical, it was gathering 30,000 participants. And inside that area, six years ago, you had a small thing called the DevNet Zone for developers. Over the years, half of the participants, so 15,000, are now going to the DevNet Zone. <laughs> so think about the change from a small crew of 200 to 15,000. And so now I think everybody is considered a, a developer. You're creating a simple script and what we see at DevNet is that every time someone enters the DevNet zone, these teams, they keep saying, I'm learning. I'm still learning. I'm a beginner. 
we spend a lot of time explaining, you're not a beginner. You have, you already have done your first steps. You know the command line and it's, it's already, you do shell scripts and it's already programming. And it's not like there's not different classes of developers, the advanced developers, the smallest developers. I'm not. And so, yeah, that's important that we recognize that we are all developers, I believe. And I think, Adam, you're very much into this world of developers. How do you consider this yourself? What do you see? Yeah, for sure. I think more and more, more different roles are having to do things that are developer-like, for sure. And I think that there are some things that that every developer looks for, regardless of whether they're a shell script <laughs> developer or have been using Java for uh, 20 years, right? So... Yeah, and I think it's it's great to be able to have events like that where you can you can gather them together. The question I keep being asked for, whether it's a one-one engagement, it's a meeting or what is, I want to start with with APIs. I understand the need and but where how can I start? And I, I don't know if you see this question keeps coming, which means first there's there's appetite. Second, if there's appetite, it's it's because there's there's a need. It's not only the patient and APIs are sexy, okay? We love APIs, but it's not only that. It's just like there's appetite because there's there's value in getting those skills. And my answer is generally just like pick something that is is important to your earth. So maybe it's a it's a light you want to switch on <laughs> when you enter your house. Maybe it's but pick something that makes sense because if you're passionate. It gives you strength. You don't even know you have this strength inside you just because the patient helps you move forward so fast and, and overcome some of the difficulties you may see if you're not, when you're working on something you have, you have some patient for. I think that we're seeing that it's all the more reason to have great developer experience and documentation and the, the source code examples that you talked about wanting to see. Because more and more people are going to be coming who have that business problem and know that an API can solve that business problem. And so what was a few years ago 200 developers because it was someone who was in code every day, that's definitely something that's expanding and is an opportunity for the, the people listening who are creating those APIs to be able to, to tap into that. And I wonder whether there are for the people who are building those experiences, are there tools that you can recommend? Oh, sure, sure. First is your internal tool set. What, how are you going to measure? What really matters? Listen to your developers and what really matters. That is cool. I've got a very simple one I want to mention here is we came up with this idea of saying we're going to measure if it takes more than 20 minutes for a newcomer to be able to make its first API request. Is it more than 20 minutes or less than 20 minutes? Someone that doesn't know your API at all. Is it 20 minutes? And then that was the first marker we put. And that is that is among the priorities for APIs, and that's how we rate them. But then you have some aspirational goals you should also add to your tool set of saying, I would love this first API call to happen in five minutes. <laughs> this is more aspirational, but it gives you the direction. So it's always like, what's the minimum bar? Where do you put the minimum? So you make sure the light is green, but it's not green to say you're okay. It's green to say you're eating the minimum. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's good. 
a lot of people would refer to this as like a time to first hello world metric, which I know in my PayPal days, that was definitely one of our approaches. How do you go about evaluating that? Is that done by your sort of central team or are you decentralizing that in some fashion? So we decentralize. We have a terrific team at Cisco, which is all sales engineers. So pre-sales and post-sales engineers. We have two teams, pre-sales, post-sales. Pre-sales, sales engineer. Post-sales, we call it customer experience. How you're going to be successful, how you're going to be successful with your product as a customer or partner. These teams, they're on the field and they know the products. So, so they spend a lot of time with them. So we can leverage them a lot. So it took us some time to create the relationship, but they had some appetite. So we promote the work they do and they are part of our DevNet brand. When we were speaking about the developer program, this is your extended team and they matter as much as your internal team. And we can rely on them to help. We look for non-SMEs, non-subject matter experts in an API to do the evaluation. <laughs> because So you're really brand new to this API. So yeah, you need to, to crowdsource your effort because very soon your centralized team <laughs> will know enough of the API so that it won't be that meaningful. Yeah, I always tell people that you, you can settle a lot of debates on design with a few pizzas and beer and inviting some people that haven't tried it before and just watch what they do. Like, you know, Just find an incentive to bring someone to the table to try it and just see what happens based on the outcome you expect. Yeah, and the major difficulty here is make sure you have the, the API product manager in the room. <laughs> because if you gather a lot of feedback, but you don't have the right people involved, you will just create more frustrations than real results. So you will see the gaps, but it will be harder to fix. That may be one of the challenges with, with hackathons. I love hackathons. I've been, I was running all <laughs> over the place in Europe. I saw beautiful cities. We were that I spent half of my weekends over two years just being in different places. And that was very long nights and, and fun with a lot of passionate developers. But at the end of the day, did that bring enough feedback to the product? Did that really help the product? It helps create a community, but shaping the product. I feel like you really need the person that is involved in this API to see the real difficulties. So make sure the person is in the room, your PM, your CTO, whatever his name, that's important. Yeah, I think for, for those of us that have been, certainly you, Steve, on both sides of the equation of seeing how things work inside and then seeing people use it in the field, so many people go into their developer relations approaches and their kind of community approaches with, you know, let's go see what happens with these these representatives, but then they never make the connection back to the actual teams that build it. And the feedback just goes into the ether. And so when you see me kind of go, eh, I hate hackathons, it's from that perspective. And I think when it's done right and you make that feedback connection and the dev team that builds the API gets to hear the customer voice loudly, everything changes, but it's done poorly so often. We turn to enterprise hackathons where you have a company, a few companies, and you have your product team involved. So yeah, that's a bit harder to organize, but with a few partners also on top that are creating value-added services on top of your API, if you can mix all these together, that makes a lot of sense. But you were speaking about also, Adam, on your question, there was also the tool sets. <laughs> are there any tools? So we discussed a bit about the, the scoring system, what really matters, but on the tool sets, that is certainly 
something to look at because this is where you're going to unlock your engineering team. We keep asking more from more API engineering teams. Deliver faster, quicker, better features, support them. It's a lot of work and you need a common infrastructure and a common tool set that can, you can leverage for long. So at Cisco, we picked a few of the very used tool set we see in the industry and standards. So we, we definitely go with Postman collections for the collections part because it's, it's very much adopted. So we looked specifically at the API network from Postman where you can publish collections, promote them. And I think we are the first contributor on the Postman API network. We've got the, we have the IO score. We spend a lot of time on our Postman collections in a crowded, in a crowdsourced way. We have several teams looking at those APIs. And then that is more for the developer experience side. But then comes the actual tool set for the engineering. And once you have, you need to bet on a standard. So we've bet recently, as we discussed earlier, on, on OpenAPI, OS. And on top of it, we are, on top of OS, we are picking the right tools to do the right job. So it's a lot about starting from the model and generating your assets. So SDKs, even Postman collections, you can generate those automatically. And your documentation that gets inferred, that goes into a CI-CD pipeline. So all that is automated. We use open API tools that they are, we found that they are pretty reactive in terms of teams, ready to be involved in their open source projects and also being ready to move forward their tool set. It's fortunate that <laughs> I'm going to mention Spectral because it's a, that's something we didn't discuss before this interview, but we use the Spectral tool set from, uh, from Spotlight. And we also looked at some of the open source initiatives like Prism. But Spectral is, seems to be very promising to us because it's, it's this concept of a linter really helps us drive our API consistency because we can look automatically at our definitions and translate them into policies. There's a challenge here. How can I, can I translate any rule into a policy that would run in the spectral? So effectively not, because some, some are just like, sometimes you need to take a few steps back at your API to observe it and know if you're really implementing a policy. But for a large amount of them, yes, there's a lot of automation possible there, and it's a quick check. It can go into a CI/CD pipeline, and uh, and we are fortunate to have a, a few industry players like Spotlight does, where guys, you're making a difference just by not only by open open sourcing the project, but also by creating a community that because it it creates ideas, it starts moving forward, creating some progress for the industry, and I think it really benefits the industry. Yeah, to tell you the truth, my job at Stoplight, which you know, uh, again, not a prearranged plug for this year, but Spectral and that kind of you know the open source linting aspect is actually was one of the big convincing factors for me to come work for Stoplight because my past experience at places like PayPal was. Having to build that stuff is not easy, and you know I feel like everywhere I was going, we're building the same thing over and over. But it's also that what we talked about earlier: if you can automate away all the boring convention stuff that, and then not just write it in a fifty-page document someone has to learn, but it's automated. Now you can have a real conversation about what does this mean for the customer, right? What do these terms mean? You can't automate that, right? You have to have some definition of what is your grammar. And then how do these things relate to each other? Does that relationship make sense? 
Is this new functionality going to clutter things? Can we live with this for years? You can't automate all that stuff, so get rid of the boring stuff and have a real conversation, right? I think that's when everything changes. And you're like, the governance process is really more about almost customer rationalization. And we mentioned earlier, it's hard to say no. Sometimes you need to guide and say no. So maybe it's good if it's a tool doing <laughs> doing it for you and saying, at least this one is a no. It's not a no you need to give yourself. <laughs> it's it, it's a tool that says it. So that's also handy. Oh, that's cool. Well, uh, any closing thoughts for us? I think we are lucky to be in the API industry right now because there's, there's so much going on. So we're lucky, but it's also an opportunity. So it's also on us to make sure every day we try to, there's still a lot to do, but we, we do our best to take it to the next stage. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's definitely a great time to be in APIs. And, and I always felt like, you know, gosh, we've been doing this, this kind of stuff in this way for the last 10 years. You know, maybe this is going to get tired and something else is, but I'll, I'll point to two numbers as kind of our, our wrap thought here, which is 85-ish percent of internet traffic is now APIs. Right. So this is the way now to borrow from the Mandalorian helmet back there. This is the way. <laughs> See what I did there. And the other is that 75 to 90 percent of these platform transformations within companies, which is usually about APIs, fail. So, you know, that's kind of the spirit of, of why bringing folks like yourself on to help share your story and kind of what you're learning and where the tooling just isn't there, where we're stuck or whatever. I think that's the part for the community that, that we're trying to address on the show here. And I think for uh, you know listeners, this is the stuff that you know, we want to hear from you as well. And ultimately, if we're all just trapped up within the four walls of our companies trying to figure these problems out and not sharing, we're all solving the same problems. You know, So let's just talk about it and see if we can get together some uh, community efforts to solve it better. Steph, I really appreciate your time. This has been a blast today. And uh, Adam, thanks for helping get through the uh, subjects here. So thanks, guys. Have a good time and see you soon. Thanks for listening. If you have a question you want to ask, look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on, and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question and we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you.